Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 277 is with Stephanie Leineker and Courtney Armstrong from the podcast Idaho Massacre. We're so well. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. Oh, I've got to know what drew you to this story. I realize that as bystanders out here, we're connected to the story, but you're digging in. Yeah, I think like, you know, so many people in the country and really worldwide, it was so shocking when it first happened in November. Given the, the victims and, you know, they were in these four college students just seemed to be living such a beautiful life together. And college is such a unique experience and time in a life where you should be so safe and just cocooned and about to jump off into your life. And we just had to find out, you know, why did this happen? How did this happen? You know, you bring up a very interesting point in the way that when when you talk about that college is supposed to be that safe zone. These students already had to go through all this with middle school and high school and now here where it could be a lot more safer and it's not. And I would say as a rule of thumb, it is right. This is in a very extreme case and Moscow was a real idyllic place and remains so. And, you know, the town is really pushing through this tragedy. But I think that's why we also were were ripped apart by this case, because mm-hmm. you see photographs of the victims, to Courtney's point, and they look like they're right out of a J. Crew ad, right? They look like they're so happy and they're, they're best friends. And there were six of them living in a house off campus. And it looked like it was really fun to be them. Um, two of the victims, Maddie and Kaylee, they were also childhood best friends. So they were each other's chosen family. And to have that ripped away just before Thanksgiving, when people are in that final mode of Mm -hmm. taking finals and preparing to go home for the holidays, they're in the final stretch. That is, you know, a hard stretch if you've gone to college during that time. And one of them, in fact, had her job, her new job after college already lined up and was just home for the weekend showing off the new car she had just gotten. So these were happy times. And to hear that those were ripped away in such a hideous way. I mean, hideous is not the word even. I mean, there's really not a proper word to describe the level of overkill that this was. And literally the walls of the house, you know, some of you have seen the photos, some of your listeners, that it appeared as though the the walls were bleeding. There was that much blood. So for the victims themselves and for their families, you know, we just want to keep the story alive so it doesn't become a footnote into an obituary or just a sexy news article or something that felt tragic a year ago that we want to make sure that it really stays in the nation's mind. Yeah, you nailed it right there with with the podcast, The Idaho Massacre, in the way that we, we can pick up a newspaper or we can go to CNN.com and we can read it, but we're not hearing it like we do on your podcast. That, to me, gets me more emotionally involved in this because you're, you're, you're journalists in this. This isn't just a couple of people sitting down to do a podcast. You're physically bringing a story to us. Yeah, and we thank you for that. And we, we it helps us wrap our minds around it by interviewing as many people as possible, you know, be it forensic experts or law experts or, you know, people who knew even, you know, the alleged murderer and just to help paint a picture of what is. And in doing that, we also get a lot of information from listeners who will send us down other pathways Mm -hmm. and open up more avenues of information. That happens a lot. Yeah, that does happen a lot. 
do, do you find yourself that, you know, because you are, you know, asking people, honest to God, real people questions that maybe the two of you are going to be called to the stand because you found something in your investigation? That does come up. We, we did another podcast that um, Courtney is the voice of and also executive produced called the Piketon Massacre, which is a, about a crime in Pike County, Ohio, where a family of eight were murdered. Mm. And ultimately, the accused was a neighboring family, a family of four, a mother, a father and her two sons literally murdered another family and then went about their lives and kept a straight face and went to the funerals. And, and, and by the way, in a very small town. Mm not so dissimilar in Moscow in that way. And in that case, we you know, we've done about five seasons of that and we're making a documentary about it now. Yeah, some of the stuff that was uncovered in that podcast, which was, and again, this is not just based on us or the team that works with us who are, you know, smarter than, certainly smarter than me. It's because listeners have been giving us information and we get to sort of dig in a little deeper to make sure that that information is accurate. And then a lot of that information was brought to trial. So we personally haven't been called to the stand, although, um, you know, spirit of justice are always open to it. One of the things that you bring up and this this it still gives me chills. Uh, this is the first time I've ever heard this, that a knife being used is very personal. And it's like, oh, my God. I mean, it, it just really creates a mm-hmm. chill inside of me. Think about it and and really think about that. It is a knife. You know, it got referenced as a Rambo knife, but mm-hmm. although it's not totally a Rambo knife, same idea. You can kind of picture what that looks like. You're in close proximity. It's very intimate. So to go from one human to another human, go down a flight of stairs or up a flight of stairs since the, the placement of who was first and last of the four victims is still a little unknowable. It's been speculated about, but... Think about how close to close you have to be. You're making eye contact. You're, you know, we know for a fact that one of the victims was, you know, just on her phone, you know, whoever took her life could tell that she was scrolling and perhaps, you know, on social media and just the way every one of us does before we go to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. You feel safe, you're cozy, you're home, you've had your snacks, it's been a late night, It's it's a weekend of fun. And, and then some psycho takes that away from you and, if we don't hear these stories, we don't know what to look out for. Mm. Images that will stick with you for the rest of your life. Brian in court the first day. I can still see that. And I don't even have a picture in front of me. It's 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 so branded inside of my head. Yeah. Those bushy eyebrows. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see how the trial plays out originally. Uh, Brian Koberger and his legal team had asked for a speedy trial. He has since that request has been pulled back. And so we don't know when the trial will be. But what is on the table is whether or not or how much media will be allowed in there. And, you know, some speculate, just like you said, that (laughs) the defense team may be a little bit concerned that, he's off-putting and that that could just the visual Mm -hmm. and by the way to your point also to both of your points really he's a very slight guy right so initially you don't imagine that this is the boogeyman and and to be clear he does claim his innocence right and he has not been proven guilty despite there being you know a considerable amount of evidence that we've at least seen that is you know stacking against him in the in the public eye he does have a, a smirk about him that, you know, our fear, and we, we talk about this so much internally, is 
you know, we don't want to give celebrity to anyone who has committed a vicious crime. And if what he's accused of is true and he was legitimately studying the art of crime and murder and now is getting this, you know, heyday in court where there's a frenzy and there has been so much media attention about it. You know, what's that line ethically? Because, you know, in the recent court appearance that I just watched, you know, it almost has looked like he was like greeting the press in, a, in an odd, strange way. Mm. And, you know, that's a fine line because we really want to make sure that we're victim forward and not celebrating somebody who's done such a sicko thing, if that's true. And, you know, he gets referenced a lot as being like BTK, the infamous serial killer or, mm-hmm. or Bundy, who was so charismatic and, you know, air quotes, air quotes, I might add, good looking. You know, we kind of imagine just from a scary movie perspective that we're going to be able to spot the scary person in the woods because they're so big and dark and they have a mask on and they're dressed in a Halloween costume. And it looks like, you know, Michael from Halloween. (laughs) And that's like, so not the case. Right. (laughs) And I think that's what's so scary about it is it's just like this unassuming guy that could be on the plane seat next to you that you just plop next to. And little do you know, he's potentially a mass murderer. That's a pretty hard pill to swallow. Well, how about how about the millions and millions of people worldwide that watch Dexter? They, they, in, in their hearts, they're going, oh, my God, this could be like the real deal. That's exactly right. And that's what we thought, too. That's why we got involved. I'm like, this guy's just like Dexter. The, the big difference is, and not that this makes it a good thing or a bad thing, God, Dexter doesn't seem like we should applaud him either, but he was killing for good, at least in the scripted series, right? Right. Um, also an unassuming guy or kind of like we also watched that show called you on Netflix. Yes. Which is also a yes. One. Unassuming guy. And he fits that M.O. Right. He seemed like it comes from a really nice family. Um, Brian seems like he had a lot of options in life. His parents were very loving to him, it seems. And we've interviewed many people in his his um, his life and backstory. And, you know, how do you slip through the cracks like that? Mm. You know, one of the things that's always got me um, um, or got my attention is the fact that how did Brian get from Idaho to the East Coast? Because when they when they first got him in, in on the east, on the East Coast, I, I was thinking, OK, wh- why is this guy even being charged? I don't understand how he got here and why didn't anybody know about this? Uh, how he got there was as many people who went to college, he drove home really? in, you know, he had a road trip right. with his father. That's the literal way he got home, which is, you know, quite an amazing thing to think about if he is, again, you know, guilty of what he's been accused of. Mm. Can you imagine that car ride, too? We are desperate to know what the what that car ride was like. It was across many states. And he, by the way, got pulled over two times uh, by law enforcement, which at one point it sounded like this guy just doesn't know how to drive. What are the odds of getting pulled over two different times? We're seeing it on body cam. His dad's in the passenger seat. He's driving, allegedly just murdered four people and is, you know, going home for the holidays. You know, when they when they looked at his apartment, he didn't have a shower curtain on his shower, which could just mean he never had one. Or was that a part of how he covered the seats in his car from all the blood shit he had been covered in it because if he committed this crime he would have been imagine the father right so it's every parent's worst nightmare i would have to assume he knows nothing let's assume that or does your son confess and what do you do with that information or do you just not want to believe or did he have no idea whatsoever Mm. you know they made a lot about the fact that he had been pulled over like i mentioned and 
we heard a report that the reason it was very calculated to pull him over, that the police were working in coordination to get eyes on him. So they pulled him over for kind of bunk reasons so that they could get eyes on Koberger's hands because he had his hand, this, and Brian Koberger is the accused, his hands would be on the steering wheel and they wanted to see if there were any scratches or lesions on his hands. So they would pull him over in you know, various states just to get the visual on body cam to confirm that this is their guy. And that's ultimately how he got to the East Coast because that's where he's from, the Poconos area. And um, sure enough, yeah, the, those, if you see that video, you can see there are some abrasions and that apparently was a big piece of their investigation. How are you preparing your hearts for when this does go um, go to court and, it, and it's all being played out? Because you've got so much information now, that but you're not a member of the jury. So how is it going to play out if they decide, like, for instance, like you even bring it up, if there's a crack in the narrative, what happens if this dude gets off? Yeah, I mean, it's very possible, by the way, he could either get the death sentence or he walks free because some of the evidence, which is genealogy, DNA evidence, uh, the defense attorneys are, are really questioning the validity of that and the chain of command of that. And that's all, you know, complicated way, way outside of our purview per se. But look, that's a real thing. He could walk. And what does that mean? And, you know, how do you go from being accused of four homicides to the degree that he is looking at a death sentence potentially? And the alternative to that is he just gets to go home and get cozy back in his bed Look, his family loves him. They stand by him. He claims to have an alibi. Yes, there is mounting evidence that from an outsider looking in seems impossible to dispute, but maybe it's not. Maybe it is possible to dispute. And we are we're mad as hell for the victims and their families. Right. And as everybody here and listeners are as well. If it's not him, who is it? And then we should continue pushing for answers. That's why I always tell people about this podcast. I say it's a crime podcast, but at the same time, it's a damn big mystery. And, and I just love that, how you guys bring that in, into the podcast, The Idaho Massacre. Hmm. You're the nicest. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, please come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open. Oh, we appreciate you. Thank you for having us and for your listeners to um, to download. And yeah, we really appreciate it. And if any of your listeners have any inside information on the Idaho massacre or some key ingredients to a case, we are always here to hear them. I love it. I love where your hearts are. Be brilliant today, you two. Okay. Thank Thanks, you, Arrow. Be brilliant. Bye, Arrow.